Smartcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hold on to your butt. Come on, sucker. Let's get it on. Oh, you want to fight? You want to fight? Now, do not entertain hypotheticals. The world as it is is vexing enough. You don't know anybody named Iris? I don't know nobody named Iris. Can I have a piece of toast? I don't give a damn what you think you are entitled to. We are changing the course of history as we see it. That is what Western demands. How could you do this to me? Really, I want to know. Why did you do that? What you feel only matters to you. Step back for one minute and look at the big picture. And that's all. No, no, not for the real fire. The orphans bond a family that very few can understand. Help me. Help you. <laughs> I don't do drugs. Or whatever movies with Wesley and Iris. What up? Boom, boom. And welcome. Boom, boom. To Or Whatever Movies. I'm your co-host, Iris. And I'm here with my brother, And we are talking 1982 John Carpenter's The Thing. What if I'm not your brother? What if I'm The Thing? That's The Thing. First time seeing this one? Yeah, I'm, yeah I was just going to say, I'm, I'm starting to feel like our podcast is your, your way of continuing my film education. I thought you were going to follow in the vein of the lighthouse and suggest that it was my way of subtly torturing you. And that, too. Yeah, the the thing was a movie that, you know, you hear in association with the better horror movies, and Dad really liked the thing a long time ago, and I didn't remember anything about it. I remember not liking it particularly when I first saw it as a kid. Dad liked it, and so I revisited it with, you know, an adult mindset, and it was a completely different film than what I remembered. I'm surprised that somebody didn't strap me down at some point and make me watch this film. Because, yeah, this was the first time I saw The Thing. And I was surprised to see a very, very young Kurt Russell in it. Yet yeah, not his first film, not even his first John Carpenter film. Oh, really? What was his first? He did uh, Escape from New York with John Carpenter before this. I'm looking at IMDb and it doesn't appear to be the case, but is it possessive? Is the title actually technically possessive, John Carpenter's The Thing? I don't know. It's always closely associated with him, like Clive Barker's Hellraiser, but as far as I know, it's just a thing. Okay. 
And this continues our theme of, of favorites in, in the horror genre. But I do think that it's uh, timely and prescient. You know, the thing, like Alien, like A Quiet Place, is about isolation and paranoia and uncertainty. Yeah, the thing, the alien life form, according to that very high-tech computer simulation calculation. All the best 80s simulations. Right would take over the entire human race within three years. Yep. Which, yeah, has to make you think about coronavirus these days. Yeah, it doesn't seem like a particularly aggressive model that uh, I think coronavirus could do it in a lot less time than that. The entire population? Well, maybe it's coronavirus's ability to be silent in a host or remain inconspicuous. People don't know they're infected, they don't have symptoms, and they transmit it. But if you're the thing, and if you're if the thing can lay low in the people then maybe, you know, if it doesn't go all alien and get all chest burstery, then maybe it can infect more people without inciting a panic. I mean, the thing does appear to have very highly skilled imitation abilities, but it is not subtle in its whole transformation (laughs) thing. (laughs) I mean, it's got to lay pretty low if it's going to successfully transform and adopt its new host's form. So I, I really want to approach this review from the perspective of someone who's watching it for the first time. Uh, this is considered a classic, or at least a cult classic these days, but that doesn't mean that it was always considered as such. And thus, if you're watching it for the first time, maybe, you know, the image of the xenomorph from Alien is pretty well known in pop culture. But the thing is a little bit harder to pin down because it doesn't always look the same. So coming into this movie from the opening scene, did you have a grasp on what this creature was going to be? No, they never really gave us a good look either at the humanoid burn victim looking raw thing that they that they had recovered from the Norwegian research site. They, it, didn't, it never had a clear form, so I was unclear if the thing had its own form or if it only took on the form of its host. Yeah, it seems like its shape was based on its need for that particular time, right? If it's a head or a piece of a head that has to scuttle away, then it sprouts legs and eyes and scuttles out of there. If it lurches up out of someone's chest in it, then it sprouts the little legs to kind of clamp onto the ceiling. If it's meant to be imposing and threatening, it's this gigantic, hugely jawed, partially dog, eyeball monster thing. It was at the thing at the end that caused the floor to ripple and then bursts out of it. Yeah, that's referred to as the Blair Box Monster. The Blair Box Monster. Yeah, so Blair is ultimately, yeah, the final incarnation of the thing. Was Blair, like, affected early on? Well, by the time he they locked him up in the shack, he was already done for, right? Yes. And interestingly enough, he suggested that McCready keep an eye on Clark and was trying to, you know, deter suspicion from him onto someone else. And was Childs infected at the end? Well, we will get to that for sure. But if you're looking for a definitive image of the thing, you only have to go about back as far as 1951 when Howard Hawks did The Thing from Another World. This movie, The Thing, is technically a remake of that movie, which of course is based on a uh, novella from uh, 1938, John Campbell's Who Goes There. But in the no- novella, it's a red-eyed, three-eyed monster-looking deal. And Howard Hawks' The Thing is almost Frankenstein-like and definitely humanoid. But, you know, you go with what's... Uh, the unseen is scarier, right? Yeah, and yeah, the unseen is scarier, and the monster itself, though pretty yucky, was not was. <laughs> it's not the monster either. It's the 
it's this very primal notion that something isn't what it is, especially when it's something that you think you trust, like another human being or a colleague or a loved one. Like that's the most primal. That's everything scary when it from zombies to like shapeshifters. In the coronavirus age, people that you care about and that you respect, uh, if they get too close, uh, you know, you find yourself shying away and getting annoyed just because of all the uncertainty and paranoia. That's going around today. Exactly. Yeah. It's weird to look at like a loved one or a coworker differently, like they could potentially devastate your life and your health. Kurt Russell seemed like an odd leader. I mean, he was, a, I understood he was the helicopter pilot and then he emerged as their end of the world leader, but he was also pretty paranoid. Sure. But I don't think he ever intended to be the leader or was ever looked upon as the leader of the group. Uh, I think it's pretty clear that they resisted his authority. Because he was just some blue-collar pilot dude? Yep, possibly alcoholic. Oh, very alcoholic. But he was also a caution-to-the-wind kind of guy, like, to hell with it, I'm going. Like, who cares if the storm is coming? I'm taking the chopper out. So the doctor was done for probably early on. Like, maybe he was exposed to the thing during the autopsy when he was alone or something. Well, there were two doctors. There were there was Cooper who got his his arms chewed off. Oh when, yeah, uh, when the when it Venus flytraps him. Yeah, when uh, when Norris dies. Blair was yeah. the doctor who was imprisoned in the shack, and he yep. was done for by the time they had taken him out there because he went he went all nuts and started bashing everything up and sabotaging their camp. Right after his computer simulation. Right, which we thought that the motivation was that he saw that the end was nigh or he was taken over. Yeah. So did Blair contract it through the autopsy of the split face corpse from the Norwegian camp? That's what I'm guessing, that he was left alone at some point and it was and he was taken over. Yeah. But like you said, a very accurate facsimile. The thing knows how to emulate and assimilate uh, its human hosts or whatever, or its human models. Because Wilford Brimley, when he was taken over, definitely did the 1930s gangster, yeah, copper, kind of shooting with the handgun where he like lunges his hand forward with every shot. It's like... Speaking of those gunshots, why were the... So the gunshot and the um, punch sound effects were so bad. Like were they? The special effects with the monster and stuff were actually pretty good and kind of sophisticated. Yeah, so McCready flies off to the Norwegian camp and they explore. I felt that that gave the movie, this movie, the story where we pick up the American camp, a lot of depth. I think that it added a whole different layer to the story, uh, gave it some, some weight. It's something that we didn't necessarily have to see. We got the barest glimpse of a, a UFO coming to Earth, crashing, presumably 100,000 years ago, as the legend goes. But still, it wasn't just a random occurrence. We kind of came in in the middle of the story, even though a lot of it happened off screen. Right, yeah. They foreshadowed the disaster destruction to come when they visited the Norwegian camp. I thought they were awfully cavalier about witnessing that. Like, they went and they were like, what happened here? And it was like obvious total devastation and destruction. And then they were like, oh, what's this thing? Let's just take it back to our camp. Yeah, very strange. You know, they had no idea of what of any contamination at that point at all. They just saw chaos and a weird burned looking corpse that definitely, if it was human, was less than human at the time that it died. And it wasn't even dead. No, it wasn't dead. And that was a great reveal when it kind of stirs under the blanket. That was our first glimpse right. at right, knowing that it wasn't it wasn't dead. Yeah. So trivia, do you remember hearing about 2011's The Thing? Vaguely. 
Very little was said about it. Uh, expected to be a remake. Ended up being a telling of the circumstances at the Norwegian camp. So technically qualifies as a prequel. Oh. Apparently, uh, John Carpenter's The Thing had a female character originally slated to be in the film who got pregnant and ultimately couldn't continue. So she was replaced, making the cast all dudes. Yeah, that was a it was a definite sausage fest. And I was wondering if that was just like a 1980s thing where it was like women can't be scientists or like (laughs) skirts don't belong in Antarctica. There was uh, intended to be a woman. And in The Thing, the 2011 sequel slash prequel. Uh, you know, a female ended up being one of the protagonists, one of the main characters. And like Aliens, in some ways, some of the themes of the thing were expanded upon in what ultimately became a prequel. I mean, I'd be curious to see it. The thing, there's enough, it's a high enough concept that there's enough to go on where I could see it splintering off into different worlds and prequels and sequels and things like that. Um, yeah. They definitely left it open-ended, which is, I guess, what you were getting at when you said we'd talk about Childs. Well, we can get to the ending if you want, but definitely for 1982, you've had almost 40 years of pop culture and there have been video games and board games and TV series that didn't quite get off the ground to, I'm sure, comic books to definitely speculation and updates over the years. Uh, John Carpenter has talked about this movie exhaustively, partially because it's one of his favorite movies, but because there's been things to talk about in the last 40 years because people didn't embrace it even remotely at the time. And over the years, the fandom has grown. He's, he's done reissues, 70 millimeter screenings, uh, Q&As, all kinds of things. It's been at Comic-Con, especially after, you know, when it regained some attention after the release of the sequel slash prequel. So it wasn't a commercial success when it came out. When did it start gaining its current day notoriety? At least half a decade later when it started to pick up steam on uh, on VHS. But, you know, the box office is a funny thing. Um, as we discussed with Alien, Star Wars was a big thing, and that launched sci-fi as a genre, as a commercial vehicle, as a commercial genre. And so when... Uh, When Alien came along, that ended up being kind of an antithesis to that movie. But Alien, right out of the gate, worked and did blockbuster business. The Thing, similarly, was, uh, you know, in the wake of Alien. And Alien movies, you know, were sort of all the rage. Kind of like zombie movies were about 10 years ago. But The Thing had the unfortunate circumstance of being released uh, just a couple of weeks after another very prominent 1982 Alien movie. Which was? E.T., the extraterrestrial. Oh, man. People were all about the fuzzy the fuzzy alien at the time. E.T. wasn't fuzzy, but he was dumpy and cute and adorable, I guess. And so people were not ready for John Carpenter's The Thing. Yeah, people were totally in a different alien mood. So it suffered at the box office. Uh, John Carpenter was really proud of it. He was not terribly surprised, I guess, when the when the audiences didn't show up in droves, but he was also really disappointed because the critics didn't like it at the time. What's there not to like about Kurt Russell? Well, I mean, Kurt Russell is one thing, and Kurt Russell is fine, and I think that the characters were good in this movie. I think the atmosphere and the setting were great. The tension was tremendous. The special but, effects uh, were pretty they decent, had especially probably given the time. Definitely practically, you know, sort of astounding, but Dude. also really gross pyrotechnics whoa (laughs) yeah but i definitely think also that this was the origin of real horror porn of like gore porn i mean it was a little much it was a little bit laughable i definitely laughed out loud when they're all (laughs) 
<laughs> when they're all chained up together on the couch. <laughs> and the couch like upends and like the homeboy's like bursting and they're like <laughs> I still laugh about it. They're all helpless. <laughs> like, get me out of here, get me out of here. They're like looking helplessly over to the dude at their you know, on their right or their left or whatever and they're freaking out. They're right. like, Oh my god. I, but it was partially because of how ridiculous it was. Like how ridiculously gory and scary seeming it was supposed to be but it was partially like their reactions really busting me up and that was probably not the response that the filmmakers wanted to elicit but I I don't know I found that and there was one other moment I'll, I'll remember that was really tickled me yeah that scene goes on for a really long time and if you look at poor Keith David and David Moffat on the couch when they're all tied up they're like flailing and screaming for like two minutes straight <laughs> exactly. while this thing goes exactly. through its transformation arc and bites Windows head off and thrashes him around with his legs kicking in the air and they're completely and the helpless yeah he keeps pulling the trigger on the on the on the uh, flamethrower and just nothing is happening and Windows was like frozen in place and completely helpless with the other like flamethrower just like totally inert yeah but uh, that follows that's the aftermath of one of the most iconic scenes in the movie which is the blood test scene so I mean did it catch you off guard because McCready was pretty convinced that um, Gary was the one especially since Gary said that this doesn't this blood test doesn't prove anything you know and he was kind of their leader right he was the captain Re yeah and he said that's why we and so we're gonna do you last and so he dips the wire into the blood and, and at that moment you know the thing in the blood kind of rears up uh, scared a lot of people yeah so the blood and the host are still connected right that's why burning the blood caused the 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 thing to burst out of him well, this movie maintains the precarious theory that any portion of the thing is uh, is alive because they could have all been the thing, right? And so it's kind of each piece is autonomous and would react uh, under duress. Well, why wouldn't the thing or things react when they all cut their fingers? And why did they cut them so deeply and, like, long? Yeah, that's a movie thing. I've always wondered about that. Like, why, if you have to draw a little bit of blood, do you rake a sharp knife across your palm and so it's dripping and gushing blood everywhere? Yeah. It's kind of the same thing as, as when you find a bag of cocaine. Why do you hack open a bag in this giant hole to, like, scoop out a little bit to test the cocaine? Right. Like, you ruin that whole baggie, dude. Keep a test baggie. <laughs> but I liked, I really liked the blood scene. I did think that it was suspenseful. But it was a very important character moment for McCready because it seemed like that was the moment he came into his own as their de facto leader, right? The scientist or the doctor guy was like, I can develop a blood test. I can figure it out. I just need a little bit of time or it's going to take, what did he say? It was like, I think he said it was going to take a couple days. And then Kurt Russell comes in in his like gruff cowboy kind of fashion. He's like, I got a theory. He, his science was just this like roughneck kind of bootstrappy science. Like he was like, I got a theory. If you poke a hot wire in some blood, the blood's going to react. So let's do it. And he just yeah, like. But effective. It was really effective. And I thought that that was the kind of leader that they needed at the time. They didn't need a scientific mind who was going to marvel at this as a wonder and a specimen. But like someone who was going to help them potentially survive this which I guess you know none of them did but really no discredit to McCready but while it's true that McCready does his best to suss out who was the thing and who wasn't the thing ultimately we don't know if he was the thing who McCready yeah 
Well, they did his. He did his own blood. Yes, but he's also controlling the test. But they saw theoretically. I mean, maybe we dropped into the scene, but he they saw him draw his own blood. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. But you know, his kind of bootstrappy science style was effective, but it was also necessary because the idea of waiting, you know, for the results and letting the thing slowly take over the entire camp uh, over the course of several days just wasn't an option, which I think is why Blair flipped out. He was destroying all the machines, no communication. Presumably he sabotaged or somebody sabotaged all the, all the equipment that would have gotten them out of there just because uh, at all costs, if he was human at that time, which I like to think he is, he was trying to contain the outbreak or the infection and, and stop the spread. Oh, so Blair had already written them all off as dead and was basically just trying to prevent the thing from getting to society? Right, I think so. And he was trying to stop anybody from coming into the room that would stop him from destroying the equipment because he knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that uh, they could not leave. And Blair, the original uh, proper social distancer. <laughs> So that's interesting. So he had motivation as Blair the human to have destroyed everything. And then but he also could have had motivation as the thing to sabotage the camp. Yep. What was the deal with McCready's rivalry with Childs? Was it just like a alpha male top dog? Was it just them asserting their dominance over one another? Like, what was that all about? Well, I think that everyone else more or less deferred to a couple of people, right? And that ended up being Childs. And the question of McCready, whether or not he was the thing, when Knowles cut him loose coming back from the cabin, when he discovered his uh, his outfit in the trash, Knowles kind of stumbled in and, and explained what happened. And, and Childs, I think, kind of took over. So he was maybe the other alpha male. And, you know, the strongest personalities emerge and other people kind of look to authority. And I think there were two camps, sort of like Lord of the Flies, and it was either McCready or Childs. And I, I don't think it's a mistake in that way that they, the two of them ended up together in the snow at the end. Right. And Childs was supposed to be like the hot-headed. Well, they were both kind of hot-headed and they're both kind of aggressors, I guess. So do you yeah, think... But but they, they definitely worked together initially, you know, especially when Blair was sort of the target for uh, for suspicion and, and, and he was tearing up the camp. Do you think that there are camps? I think that there are probably camps of viewers. When you watch a movie like this, do you put yourself in the camp of survivors? Do you think you would have been able to survive this? It would definitely would have been every man for himself. I don't know that I would have looked to band together. I would have basically done what I'm doing now, which is social distance, isolate, and uh, and nobody's above suspicion. The only way you can be sure. I don't know that there was safety in numbers in Outpost 31. That's true, but it's not like you can go and hole up in a shack where it's 100 below. Like, how do you social distance? Do you barricade? Do you get some water and some food and barricade yourself in your room? That is, that's the strength of this movie. The growing paranoia and fear and the only people that you can turn to, uh, you really, really want to hope that your friends are people that you can still trust and who won't kill you. But there's nowhere to go. It's a theme. I don't know how, how far back it goes, but it's definitely a strong theme that appeals to me. Quentin Tarantino has said that this movie is probably the biggest influence on Reservoir Dogs, where you have all the criminals cooped up in a warehouse trying to figure out what's happening, who might be the rat. And uh, it is the only movie that he had the entire cast watch before they all settled in in the uh, cabin out in the middle of uh, Colorado near Telluride to film The Hateful Eight. Also Kurt Russell. 
Yes, also Kurt Russell. But definitely a, uh, yeah, can you imagine Tarantino saying, I want you to sit down and watch this movie that you're in? <laughs> It'll be a good education. Yep. In watching this, Brian kind of wandered in at some point oh and, sat, and sat down and finished it with me. And at some point, too, he was like, so uh, you still want to go to Antarctica? And I was like, hell yeah. I totally want to go to Antarctica, but you got to hang on to that tow line. You do not go off the tow line. Yeah. Even if you do have to social distance. I mean, McCready found his way back. Yeah, but he's a cowboy. He literally wore a cowboy hat in Antarctica. Yeah, but it's very bright. <laughs> Who was the thing? Who was the thing? Were either of them the thing? What did you think? Because this is the enduring mystery. I think um, Childs is the thing. Why do you think that? Well, because Childs was missing. He had a job to do. He left his post. He was seen kind of running erratically around the camp. And then he just kind of shows up nonchalantly at the end. And he also yeah. talks about the heat as if it has something to do with, you know, he's like, raise the temperature around here, but it's not going to last too long. And he's almost yep. saying it in a way that suggests that's trying to throw Kurt Russell off, but really is 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 more like he's speaking to himself. I don't know. That's what I took from it. We tracked Kurt Russell. I mean, there wasn't enough time, it seems, that he was out of our sights that he could have been infected. Do you think that identifying with the Ma the McCready character as kind of the hero of the picture would throw off suspicion that he might be the thing? Oh, for sure. That would be the that would be the way to kind of flip it. So Keith David was uh, not an established actor. This is his first credited role in the role of Childs. And uh, so you wouldn't expect him to be the hero or the survivor, certainly, right? Not necessarily, except that they were kind of set up as rivals. The speculation is part of the reason that the thing endures and that it has been remade since the, uh, the 2011 version of the thing. There have been comic books and board games and video games, and each contributes a little piece of the puzzle. So in scrutinizing this, I firmly believe that Childs was the thing. And I agree with you because we tracked McCready and he wouldn't have had an opportunity to fake the blood test. But, uh, you know, there was definitely some speculation uh, when Nalls suggest when he cut him loose on the line coming back from Blair's cabin. Right. Oh, that's true. So people definitely examined the end of this film as closely as possible. They've attributed it to things like the lighting or McCready's proximity to the fire. But McCready definitely has visible breath from the cold air, and Childs doesn't appear to have breath at all. So special effects oversight or something deeper? So Keith David said himself in interview later on that he doesn't know if his breath was digitally removed, if such a thing was possible in 1982, but he asserts to this day that he was not the thing. <laughs> How would he know if he's the thing? He could be, I mean, he could very well have been the thing and not known it because... That's what the filmmakers intended. There was a video game tie-in in 2012. Uh, Carpenter endorsed this video game, and he says that it's part of the canon for the thing. And uh, in the video game, spoiler, McCready is rescued following the fire at Outpost 31, and Childs freezes to death, which suggested that both McCready and Childs were human. And then, nerd contrary alert, to that... Nerd alert, nerd, nerd. Yeah. Contrary to that, November 23rd, 2012, John Carpenter himself tweets that one of them was the thing. Yes, one of them was a thing. But not which one? Nope. Who's the thing? Because both Keith David and Kurt Russell have definitively stated that they are not the thing well, and put it on the other person. I mean, it certainly adds to the lore, but what's the point? I mean, 
it, it does it <laughs> does it make a material difference to you? Does it help you sleep at yes. night if you know who the thing is and who's not I the thing? I need to know who the thing is. It's it's the it's every difference in the world because if neither of them was the thing, if they were both human, if McCready was rescued and Childs freezes to death, then all is well with the world. And that Blair's plan uh, when he started shooting up all the equipment and was and was threatening everybody was that the thing remain contained, that it never get out, that it doesn't populate the whole world in three weeks time or whatever, right? Okay. If either of those guys was the thing, and they froze to death then it would just lie dormant until someone came to relieve them uh, in the springtime and it was able to find a new host that wasn't so quite so temperamental. Who was the thing? So what is your overall impression of the thing? I, <laughs> um, I enjoyed it. I suppose your review helps me appreciate it, although it wouldn't have changed my opinion on it. It's a good movie. It was enjoyable. It, is enduring and it like fit the maybe it's it, it pre-tropes or whatever but it feels like it fits the bill of a good 80s horror film like gory kind of cheesy laugh out loud moments some good old kurt russell and it was just enjoyable it doesn't it lacks a sophistication i think that the alien had somehow i think that's as succinctly and accurately as you can put it right but I, I definitely give credence to the actors, to the director for creating the atmosphere, not only the sort of isolation and eerie quality of the Antarctic Station of Outpost 31, but also in not knowing and, and being forced to be in close proximity with the inhabitants on whom you're going to rely for your survival, not knowing which of them will turn on you at any moment. So totally. Oh, I really, really like this movie. Um Kelly's not a huge fan. She watched it, but I think she gets hung up on the grossness and the unpleasant aspect of the thing. And I think that kind of misses the point. I think this may have been a more successful movie if it wasn't so go for broke gory. All right, I'm going to save you from yourself. This was officially our case study on The Thing, a case study in special effects, gore, and 1980s sci-fi filmmaking. I didn't even give my rating. I think you need to make your... um master's thesis on the thing and it should be called totally totally how many times have you seen it probably 12 times so there you have it if you want to hear west nerd out about your movie favorite give us a call send us an email let us know what it might be 818-835-0473 or whatever movies at gmail.com thanks again for listening and we'll see you next time have you ever wondered what actually happens in Congress every day? Stay informed on Capitol Hill's daily happenings with a concise, factual summary of the Senate and House of Representatives activities from the previous session, free from bias, on the Congressional Record Daily Digest podcast. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and discover the process from the heart of U.S. politics. The Congressional Record Daily Digest, an electric cast production. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. We're the founders of Electrocast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electrocast networks include Ruby for female empowerment, the best business network, and GPN for geopolitics. We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So, keep listening to Electrocast Podcasts and... Hear the culture. Electric acid. Electric acid.
Futurecast.